will find you. And I will kill you. Yeah. I am the walrus. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me. <laughs> Aren't you? Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no! Just been revoked. Open the pod bay doors, Tom. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Because it is my name! I see Dave. Today, Junior? Ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? What? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Like scary Uh huh. What's your favorite scary movie? The price is wrong, bitch. Welcome to Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. And this week, it might be a little bit of a shorter episode, as uh, this is a solo episode with just me on it this week. Um, We had a little bit of a scheduling snafu for our Mortal Kombat review, um, so we're going to have to push that back just a little bit further. But trust me, I think that's going to be a very interesting episode, as uh, Pat and I do not see eye to eye on that film. So there's a little teaser for you um, as we continue going on with this, because he and I have had some discussions, obviously off air. Um, and it'll be a very interesting, I think, combative, uh, not to get too punny um, episode. So I look forward to getting that recorded. But uh, without, you know, further much ado, um we're still wanting to get an episode out for you guys this week, even if it might be a little bit shorter, but uh, going to be covering episodes one and two of The Bad Batch, now currently streaming on Disney+. Plus. Um, I did get a chance to get it watched this weekend. Um, Leslie and I had talked about it in our MCU franchise review that, you know, we would have probably done that as uh, a May 4th episode, but obviously since it didn't drop until the fourth we didn't get a chance to watch it beforehand and get it recorded uh, in celebration of star wars day but uh you know we're still happy to be able to bring you somewhat of a review for those first two episodes um so there will probably be some spoilers um nothing too major as uh i don't think that too much has been revealed um in these first two episodes that like will really be shocking or, or, uh, you know, anything drastic. So, uh, just fair warning, maybe some minor spoilers. Um, 
But yeah, let's just go ahead and dive into it. So first episode, my major complaint um, about it is that the first episode is just way too long. Um, I had to break it up into three separate viewings uh, to fully um, complete the episode. And I don't think that it's... um, that it's a problem with pacing or, or anything like that. And I've watched plenty of animated films and, and, uh, you know, it's not something that normally bothers me, but it it could have been something that, you know, I needed to be in the mood to sit down and watch an hour and like 11 minute episode of a new show. Um, Maybe if this had just been a one-off and it was just a, you know a, a one-hour and an eleven-minute film um, to tell the Bad Batch story, then maybe I would have approached it differently. But it, it just felt a little long. Um, in fact, much like the uh, Clone Wars animated film, uh, which is an amalgamation of the first few episodes that they put together, the Bad Batch has that kind of feeling as well with that first episode. Um, for example, you know, it opens up, um, this is the one I won't go into detail cause that might be a little bit more on the spoiler side, but we do get to see a bit more of order 66, which was kind of, um, one thing that Leslie and I, when we did our review of season, I believe it was seven of clone wars, the final season of clone wars, um, that when, Order 66 was uh, launched, we didn't get to see another, you know, extended side of it outside of what we saw in Revenge of the Sith. So um, we do get a more impactful and personal um, view of Order 66, especially through the lens of the Bad Batch crew, um, which I thought was very interesting because, you know, one of the things that we always kind of look at with the Clone Wars um is the fact that, you know, the clones all turn bad, basically. Uh, you know, Rebels, of course, fixes some of that with Rex and his little cadre of troopers. Um, and Clone Wars, the cartoons uh, series itself, made it a more um, complicated matter than just all of the clones turning, which is, I think, a really cool uh, perspective that Dave Filoni uh, presented with the show and, and is presenting with bad batch as well. Um, because the bad batch is there as a reinforcement, um, for a pair of Jedi. And then, you know, they're continuing on with the mission when order 66 is ordered and they don't have the initial, you know, reaction like all the other normal clones have. So I, I, I really like that it now contrasts this and also with Hunter, who uh, is basically Rambo. I mean, you can't look at his character design and not think uh, he's modeled after Rambo. Um, But this is the moment where Hunter, you know, they already kind of don't follow orders in the first place, um, and they kind of go to the march of their own drum. Uh, But this was enough that even he, you know, couldn't quite see the logic or the rationale behind it. And them being defective clones, it it makes sense that they wouldn't necessarily be giving into any type of um, pre-programmed order like the emperor had implanted with all the clones. The one thing that, however, um, that doesn't quite make sense to me uh, as they kind of explore it a little further on in the episode is 
how would the emperor or anyone involved with the clones not um, already kind of foresee this problem with, with the Bad Batch? We already know that they're, they're defective clones. They have abnormalities, which is what makes them the best at what they do. Why Hunter's such a good, you know, basically Hunter. Why Crosshair is a really good sniper. Um, Wrecker is, you know, brute strength. Tech is, you know, uh, highly intelligent and good with machines. Um, and Echo isn't necessarily uh, one of the Bad Batch crew, but because of what happened to him in the Clone Wars series, you know, it's uh, he's joined, obviously, their squad. So it's really um, kind of confusing to me that they, the Emperor or the Empire wouldn't have been prepared for the fact that this specific batch of clones uh, would not necessarily give in to orders easily or that they would even be uh, susceptible to the programming. But maybe it was this thing of where, although they were defective, they still had, I mean, they do address that in the episode. Uh, they still have the inhibitor chips. They still have the programming. Crosshair um, is the one who's the closest in line with all of the regular clones. Um, so, and that, um, I think, is what creates a really interesting... Um, uh, scenario later on in the episode, but uh, getting a little ahead of myself, my issue being again, it, it just a little bit long because once you know they go through that and then they go back to Camino and it you know is showing the Emperor's announcement you know of the dissolution of the Republic and the formation of the First Galactic Empire, um, that would have to me would have been the perfect spot, although it would have been a few maybe a couple minutes short of being an actual full-time, uh, full-run episode, uh, would have been a perfect part to stop the first episode at. Um, and then come in with an episode two dealing with the aftermath of that. Um, because, it, 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 again, it just it just felt too long. I, I had three separate viewings, all within the same day. Um, so it wasn't like I was starting it and stopping it and then waiting a day or two to get back to it. Um, this was all within my viewing on Friday night. Uh, but it, it's not in, um, it's not a testament to the story cause the story is very interesting and it, it was having me engage animation. I think again, this proves that the clone war style animation is what they should use for any future canonized uh animated shows um you know rebels as much as i ended up liking rebels rebels took it so differently and and um really kind of uh made it more for children um and yes i know that these are more geared towards a a younger audience than someone of my age but um, one of the things that has been always really interesting with something like the Clone Wars is that uh, they are able to tell more mature stories um, while still being entertaining for for a younger audience. And so that was kind of my initial um, dislike of Rebels was it felt it felt too childish and and definitely um, resistance was an even step further back where it was being too outlandish, too cartoonish, too, uh, unserious with its material. And then it slowly started, uh, becoming more serious as that, that series went on. 
Um, but fortunately, like Dave has learned uh, his kind of lesson, I think, with that approach, uh, because this Bad Batch definitely starts off serious. I mean, it's got its lighthearted moments and its humor, um, primarily from Wrecker, as he's kind of the the comedic foil um, for the group, even though the, they each all have their moments. Um, but, uh, it's, it's style and it's animation is what makes it so captivating and yet feels so much like it's also a part of star Wars, even though we're seeing an animated world rather than a live action show, like the Mandalorian. Um, there's the still sense of realism, uh, rather than, um, that cartoony aspect, the ships all look fantastic. The character models are great. Um, so it's just one of those things that I, I want them, if they're going to make future animated shows that will still technically be part of Canon, I want them to use this style as I think it's the best style, um, that they've ever gone with. And this is coming from someone who, when Clone Wars originally came out, I was not a fan of the animation style. It was, um, I don't, I can't remember exactly why, but it was just something that felt weird to me. It looked weird. Um, I don't know if it was cause I thought the characters looked too blocky or they, uh, too angular. Um, but then in the inverse inverse of what we got with rebels and kind of resistance was we got a lack of detail and, um, everything was more rounded than, than defined. Um, so I think that that made it, uh, less appealing, especially with seeing how uh, fluid scenes go through in Clone Wars and how animated it is and, and how the action sequences all play out very well. Um, I think that that's why it, it kind of prejudiced me to to those other shows because um, it, it eventually grew on me. And then once I saw what the ap- actual appeal of the Clone Wars animation style was... Um, I think that that's that's why it won me over, and now I I prefer it to be my predominant style if they're going to make shows uh, later on down the road. Um, but getting back kind of to the essence of the story, um, as they return to Camino, of course they're you know getting everything that's going on. Uh, we have um, Tarkin arrive uh, and giving kind of a mandate to the Camino Owens uh, to. Discontin- they're going to probably discontinue using the clones, uh, which is something that the the show needed to do. Although I think any like r- big Star Wars fans understands uh, either whether through it's the old EU or um, or or just kind of the basic understanding or or following every little detail, every little book, uh, every little comic, video game that. Um, the Empire phased the clones out to get an actual, you know, kind of conscripted uh, service from the citizens of the Empire. Uh, so I, I like that this is putting it kind of in stone, that we're seeing how that came about. We're seeing the beginnings of it. As Tarkin is evaluating the clones, he's already prejudiced against the clones. Um, and then he puts... Uh, the Bad Batch through uh, an extensive training exercise, which is one of the best moments of this episode. Uh, it's it's really, sh- again, the testament to the animation style for how fluid it feels and how actual real it feels, despite being a cartoon. Um, and we see that Tarkin kind of sees some some benefit to using this particular squad for special missions. 
And then, of course, um, he gives them their first mission. But getting a little ahead of myself, we get the introduction of Omega. And I'm not quite sure how I feel about this character yet. There are moments where I, I really like her, and I think that she is uh, meant to be a character that is to ground um, Hunter and the rest of the squad to not being just soldiers, uh, to learning how to be uh, more of a family, and then rather than just these uh, basically machines used for whatever purpose uh, they're needed for, to achieve whatever ends they're needed for. Um, and there's a little mystery surrounding Omega. I think it's very um, evident kind of when you see her. Uh, and I don't it's the the issue I kind of have with her is w- what circumstances are surrounding her um, origin. And so to go ahead and just kind of warn uh, that this is probably one of the most spoilerless things that I can say about this. Um, Omega is is a clone. Um, she is actually one of the defective clones from the bad batch. Uh, why she is female versus male that I don't have necessarily as much of an issue. Like I don't have the issue that she's a female character, but the reasoning behind why, uh, the cloners would create a female clone. Um, from Django's uh, DNA set. So um, that's once that, and it's intended for you not to know that reason. So, I mean, it's only a mild criticism because I just don't want it to be for any, any purposes outside for it's to tell an interesting story. And I have enough faith in Dave Filoni that he has a reason for why this is playing out the way it is. So, I, I understand that it is supposed to probably be part of the mystery for the first season, um, what her purpose was, uh, why she was attached with the Kaminoans kind of as a medical uh, assistant, um, and the kind of just what is the purpose of her of her reason. We understand that there is some type of um, secret thing that the Kaminoans have been... Um, keeping from the empire and from Tarkin, uh, that we will probably get revealed later on throughout the season. But I I just want it to be compelling because I don't absolutely hate the character. And I think like she serves a good purpose for grounding the bad batch to understand that they are more than just death machines. Um, in fact, because Crosshair is throughout the entire episode always questioning Hunter because he's dis- disobeying orders and he's more in line with the Empire. She has a moment with him later on in the episode that uh, actually humanizes Crosshair. And probably if what happens to Crosshair doesn't happen in this episode, he would have been kind of following along with Hunter. Um but it's also just part of the tragedy. But before we get to that, you know, we got another little bit of sequence. Uh, this episode's jam packed. Like I said, it, it probably needed to be broken up into about three or four episodes in of itself. Um, it's covering a lot of ground. It's covering ground I want to see, but it felt a little too much. And a, like, I just didn't have the time or the attention to want to spend solely on a full hour and 11 minute episode. Um, I mean, heck, this episode is longer than any of the Marvel episodes. So it's 
when you're going longer than those, you know, it, it's definitely needs to justify it. And although I think it does kind of justify it, I would have probably preferred it been broken up into several episodes. Um, so they go on their secret mission for Tarkin. They get a warning from Omega um, that not to trust Tarkin and that there's more to it than they see. Um, and then this is where we get kind of the real moment for the Bad Batch because they're told that there's uh, separatists on this planet um, and that they are to eliminate those separate separatists. They are all droids. And then they actually come across refugees um, led by one of... I think one of the most interesting, of course, cameos, uh, I would have to do research into it cause I can't remember who the voice actor was for, uh, saw Guerrera in clone wars. Um, but if they got the same voice actor for saw, that's f- I'm fine with it. Um, except for that, they kind of already had force Whitaker reprise the voicing of saw for, uh, rebels and for Jedi fallen order. Um, so if it's the same voice actor as in Clone Wars, it makes more sense uh, as a younger Saw and then Forrest Whitaker kind of taking over later on in Saw's older and more damaged years. Uh, but yeah, it was it, it kind of threw me off a little bit, but it was great to see Saw Guerrera back um, and explaining to the crew that, you know, the these are refugees, that uh, the Empire's really the bad guys that they traded in basically one system for an even worse system of government. And, um, it it really then kind of shows the moral fiber for the bad batch characters. And again, you have crosshair kind of constantly questioned in it, uh, and really kind of breaking from Hunter, their leader, uh, because of this kind of disagreement between following orders and doing what is right. Um, they obviously then find a, um, probe droid that is kind of been tracking them and has been reporting back to Tarkin. So Tarkin is already aware. Um, this is kind of where it's revealed that Omega is a clone, uh, and they decide to go back to Camino to rescue her. Um, and the rest of the episode kind of plays out pretty straightforward, um, you know, they, they go in there, they get themselves captured. Uh, they're thrown in a cell with Omega. Omega has her moment with crosshair crosshair is removed, uh, to then have the programming kind of reinforced by Tarkin. And it's very cruel. Uh, but it also creates a really cool character moment between Hunter and crosshair in kind of the final moments of the shootout. Um, but they managed to break out, uh, they get their gear, get their stuff. Uh, they have their showdown with Omega or with Crosshair, um, who is in just now basically almost Death Guard um, garb. Uh, his new refined kind of costume is great. Um, and what I think really makes it kind of humanizing, and I'm also wondering if there is another like ulterior motive here, is you know Crosshair is a deadly shot. Um, but he manages not to actually hit Hunter at all. And a part of me believes that there is something underlying from his programming that is preventing him from straight out killing. Like it's, it's not doing it a good enough job, but it's making him a little bit sloppier than what we see him through most of the episode when it comes to shots and kills. So I I think it's going to be a very compelling thing that they're going to take moving forward. Uh, and I hope that, 
we get a really cool character moment where they try to win Crosshair back. Uh, so that pretty much wraps up the entire first episode. Um, like I said, I think it's a, a, a very good start. Uh, I felt episode two was a little bit more of an improvement in the sense of because it's a straight 30 minutes, uh, feels more of the regular, you know, like Clone Wars format um, with its runtime and the way that it unfolds its story. Um, But yes, first episode of Bad Batch, I think it's good. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it, It's just that it's got that long runtime and I, I just had to break it up because I was not able to just want to sit there for that hour and 11 minutes straight, uh, to burn right through the episode. Um, I still think that they maybe should have just broken it up into about three or four different episodes. And then your episode two is kind of like episode five, but I'm not behind these things. I don't make these choices. So, uh, you know, they're going to do what they're going to do. Uh, but I have to definitely say, check it out. Um, I don't think you'll be disappointed. I think it continues to highlight what is good about star Wars, uh, and what they can do right with star Wars. Um, so hopefully this is stuff that's moving in the right direction, um, for the franchise as a whole, uh, to go into episode two, I'm not going to go into, you know, great detail or, or, um, you know, again, like this was one that it's very much straightforward. Uh, I do like that it is an, a big callback to a Clone Wars episode dealing with a deserter, uh, and it's nice kind of seeing that character again. Um, but this is where we really start to see the Empire uh, kind of stepping in and being the negative force that it becomes by the time we get to New Hope. Uh, we see that the Republic credits are being discontinued, that they're all going to have to get chain codes which it basically creates a galactic registry uh, where, you know, they can identify any uh, civilian anywhere uh, because of that chain code. Um, but this deals a lot more with kind of now this new budding uh, father-daughter relationship between Hunter and Omega. Uh, and cause this kind of balancing out with the deserter, who obviously now has two children, has been a father and, uh, for some time now. Um, and kind of learning how to be a father on the fly and Omega getting herself into a whole lot of scraps. And I saw someone, I, I believe it was star Wars theory that kind of was making a, a short video on the meaning of this one scene where she removes her, um, like little headpiece and then, uh, is not wearing it anymore. I think that that is, um, I, I haven't watched his video, but he's usually got great takes on star Wars. Um, so if you've not heard of star Wars theory, go check his channel out. He's the one who did that Vader fan film. That was fantastic. Uh, and dude is killing it with it when it comes to star Wars, uh, content and, uh, talking about it, creating it, uh, theories on certain things, even if they don't play out the way he theorizes. Uh, but he's got some really good videos, uh, out there. But uh, to me, it was a kind of a symbolizing of her shedding her own past. Like she's she's trying to not just be this naive child, but that she's trying to be part of something bigger. Uh, and that this kind of headpiece is like a reminder of that previous life that she's no longer a part of or no longer going back to. And Hunter, you know, and it's contrasted with Hunter 
not wanting to necessarily accept the role of a father type um, because he's too harsh and he and he's, you know, too much in the soldier mentality. And we see that contrasted a lot in the episode. And um, in fact, he even tries to get her to go with uh, the deserter and his family. Um, and of course, she defies it, doesn't want to do it, um, which by the end of the episode, he does not regret. Uh, but yeah, it's, I think that that's the major primary focus is to kind of show how the galaxy is becoming. Now it's under this new Imperial rule. And, uh, also to show kind of the relationship between, um, Hunter and Omega that, uh, you know, is started developing in episode one and has now currently gotten even further developed in this. And I saw some criticisms that they, they haven't done a good job with that. And I, I disagree. Cause if you go back to episode one, you can start see, um, seeing what is appealing to him about Omega and why he kind of creates this fatherly presence for her and her latching on to not just him, but to, to the bad batch crew. Um, that it's, I think it was subtle and that if you weren't paying attention for it, and especially with having kind of watched these episodes almost, almost back to back, uh, cause I watched episode two this morning on Sunday as I'm recording actually just right before recording. And, uh, I, it felt more organic. It felt like it was, you know, developing further, uh, that, that this relationship is going to evolve and become something more by the time we get to the end of the season. So I, I disagree with, with the criticism that, um, that this, that it's mishandling that development. I think it's, it's happening organically. You're giving a character who's never had a nurturing aspect before. I mean, he's raised as a clone. He's been a soldier. He's been a soldier for X amount of years now. Uh, he's never had to really care about anything except his teammates, his squad mates. Uh, and now he's been introduced to this child who is still, you know, a, cl a clone. Um, and so it's still, th there is that kind of familial relationship, but learning how to be more of a nurturer uh, than what he, you know, currently was, you know, cause he, it, there was no nurture. There was no nurture for the clones as they were growing up and becoming these tools for war. So he doesn't know how to be a father. Um, but it, you can see he kind of wants to be, but he also worries too much for her safety that he's willing to give her up. And honestly, that's probably almost the most fatherly thing he can do is because he's looking out for the safety of the child, despite what the child actually wants. It's acknowledging his own faults and his own inability to be a proper father figure for her that that's why he seeks the way to to send him off with the uh with the deserter so uh it really when you look at it and you analyze it further i think it does a very good job of establishing it and developing this uh father relationship father daughter relationship and that um i'm interested to see where it goes by the end of the season um and and again i want to know what this mystery behind omega is I want to know why they decided to create a female clone from Django's DNA. I want to understand what her importance is. What allowed, why would the Kaminoans allow the Bad Batch to escape Kamino uh, for Omega to get out there? Because there's some ulterior motive out there. 
And what it is, we don't know. I am sure we will find out um, in future episodes. So uh, I don't know if we'll be doing a, a week-to-week review of each episode, but I I needed something to, <laughs> to cover so you guys still got some content this week. Um, and I know I didn't go into huge depth or detail. Uh, you know, I obviously I don't have Leslie here to bounce ideas off of. I don't have Pat here to bounce ideas off of. So I'm kind of speed running through my review. Um, but also because it's the, the greatest thing I think I felt about this, the show was it was entertainment, you know, um, Leslie and I have talked about that in, in episodes past where, uh, it took me out of, it took me out of the real world. You know, I wasn't feeling real world politic in it. Um, I wasn't feeling like I was being lectured to, uh, or anything or that there was some agenda that was being pushed. It was just pure entertainment. Um, and it allowed me to escape and it was perfect escapism. So I have, I have to recommend it. Um, in, in kind of a little bit of a contrast that I also started Jupiter's legacy this weekend. And there were a few lines in there where I'm like, uh, you didn't need to do that. It was doing the opposite instead of being this kind of super alternate superhero fantasy. Uh, it decided to try to bring in some real world elements. Now, maybe it is in the original source material. I have not read, um, Mark Millar's, uh, comic, um, but I'm not saying I wouldn't, uh, I've been watching a little bit of invincible and I've been trying to read those comics before, uh, you know, really kind of diving in deep in that show. Uh, but that was what was so great about bad batch versus watching that first episode of Jupiter's legacy was it, it allowed me to escape the real world. It allowed me to focus in on this crazy cr- crew of characters and, um, them just telling this fun interesting but also tragic story and it definitely has me excited for next week's episode uh but we might get around to maybe just doing a full season review uh near the end of the (coughs) end of the first season uh, depending on you know our schedule with work and our schedule with recording our mcu franchise and outside of also recording with the episodes with pat uh but yeah i think that'll do it um, for this week. So scores of the episodes, um, I'm going to give the first episode a three and a half, um, mainly because of that runtime. I, I mean, that runtime really kind of hurt it for me. Um, it told me when I, when I saw it before hitting play, I was going to have to make a big commitment to sitting down to watch it. Um, finding that, you know, there were perfect places to take breaks, which is kind of why I broke it up into like the three viewings and each viewing was about 20 to 30 minutes, um, which is about the normal runtime. So I, I just really felt like maybe it would have benefited more from being the normal format of a runtime versus that, that long extended runtime. Um, but other than that, like story wise, uh, in animation and voice acting, everything was pretty solid for me, but it, that runtime is enough for me to knock off that point and a half. Now, as for episode two, I might be in the uh, minority on, on viewing this one, but this one I have to give like a four and a half. I think it does a really good job of continuing the story, developing Hunter and Omega's relationship, uh, seeing 
kind of how the galaxy is becoming now under the thrall of the Empire and how quick things are changing and how now it's becoming a very um, dark future for anyone living within the Star Wars galaxy. Uh, and I'm really interested to see where the Bad Batch go next. Uh, and I know we've got appearances from Finnick, from Mandalorian to, to come up. Uh, but I, I'm just really excited. It's going to explore this period of time um, where Rebels kind of explored about the end of the Empire and kind of the be- I mean the beginning of the Rebellion as a more of an actual functioning group. But it was focusing more on kind of the latter end of the Empire's rule. And it's going to be really interesting, I think, from the Bad Batch to kind of book end or book start the the uh the beginning of it to see that transition from the republic into the empire and how everyone is impacted by this uh monumental shift so i think that that's why uh i give and i give uh this one uh this episode a higher score because it, it fit the regular 30 minute format uh its story is tight it, it hits points a b and c as quick as possible without kind of really overlooking things. Uh, and it was just a good time. So, all right, that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, as always, if you're not following us on social media, you can follow us on Twitter at critics NT cynics, uh, Facebook, we, the critics, not cynics podcast. Um, you can follow the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, uh, audible, Amazon music, basically wherever you can get your podcasts. Uh, we'd appreciate it if you would leave us a rate and review as it kind of helps us get us known out there in the bigger podcasting world. And, uh, you know, just share with your friends or family. If you like our take on stuff, we try to be a little bit less cynical, uh, and try to just really embrace what we liked and and acknowledge what we didn't like. But uh, our our purpose on this show is never necessarily to tear a film or a piece down. And I think that that's something we need more out there in the film, television, entertainment area of of criticism. Um, so if uh, you have any thoughts about the podcast or you want to give us your thoughts on, on anything that we've talked about or discussed, you can always contact us at criticsnotcynics at gmail.com. And we will talk to you guys next time.